I'm talking to Carl Reiner today, so if I mentioned all of his credits, we'd be here all day. But here are just a few. Uh, Enter Laughing, which he wrote on Broadway, where Alan Arkin starred in it. The Comic with Dick Van Dyke. Where's Papa with George Siegel. Oh God with George Burns. I'll just name the rest. The One and Only. The Jerk. Steve Martin, of course. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Steve Martin. The Man with Two Brains. Steve Martin. All of Me. Steve Martin. Summer Rental. Summer School. Uh, sibling Rivalry, Fatal Instincts, That Old Feeling, The Gazebo, I could go on and on and on, and he was in the end. And then he actually, probably the um, show that he respects most that he did, he won an Emmy for playing the character on Mad About You, and interestingly enough, it was directed by the brilliant David Steinberg. Here is my conversation with the 92-year-old Carl Reiner. So movies in comedy, it's amazing who you had. Steve Martin, oh. you directed Steve, one of the legendary. At that point, he was already known to some degree. He had toured the country and played venues as many as 46,000 people yeah. doing nothing. <clears throat> yep. He never did anything on <laughs> no. stage. He always attempted to do <laughs> yeah, you know, everything. Everything didn't work. And by the way, when you f- find out uh, the your definition of genius, you have to attribute yes. that yeah. he is a genius. He can do more things better than anybody. Yes. And uh, and one of the things, he's a, a great art collector. Oh, he knows more about art than anybody. Plays the banjo and the, the, banjo. the mandolin beautifully. They did a thing for the AFI, and everybody had something yeah. that remembered about him doing that nobody knew he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and totally original. He never, there isn't a cliche bone in his body. No. I think the the Academy, the Television Academy, gave me some kind of award. Everybody was there, and Steve wasn't there. And I did four pictures with Steve. He had sent the tape. The tape comes on. He's all he says. I would have been give anything to be there with you tonight. I was so sad that I so sad that I can't be with you. But what it is is I'm I'm having dinner next door. <laughs> and it, he was next door. And he, was, he was eating dinner. <laughs> now that is that That's is hilarious. So brilliant. It's so hilarious. And if you and if you doubt his talent, his book, which is uh, Born Standing Up, yes. is maybe one of the best biographies ever written. Yes. It is so lovely, sad, and brilliantly deep. Yeah, he was his own creator. The Smothers Brothers show had a lot of good writers. Oh, they were yes. the next group, yeah. sort of after the Sid Caesar show show. And, and Steve Martin and Bob Einstein and Carl Gottlieb yeah. and all those guys, they, they were there. And, uh, yeah, Rob, Rob, that's where Rob met him. Yes. I'm a, yeah, my wild and crazy guy. Yeah, so Rob... Rob Reiner to an audience who doesn't know that Carl Reiner and Rob Reiner, <laughs> Carl's the father, Rob Reiner's the son. Yes. Pretty incredible, brilliant package between the two of you. But did did Rob bring home like uh, eccentric people, any of these guys when you were doing stuff? Like, who were his friends? Well, I'm looking at, a, at a, a drape now that made me, this kid was seven, 16 years old. He was Rob's friend. You know, we had a thing called, called Reiner and Brooks, and he was Reiner and Albert Brooks. They were uh, friends. Oh, Albert was Rob's uh, friend. Albert Brooks is one of the single funniest Please. I've ever seen. He was 16 years old at the time, and he was in that, he was sitting in this room, and I'm showing, pointing to that curtain, mm-hmm. and he comes over to me and he says, oh, Rob says, you know, he's the world's greatest uh, escape artist, like Houdini. <laughs> I said, yes, and they... And he came over. Yes, would you like to demonstrate? 
He took a handkerchief and I folded it up and I put the handkerchief over his wrist, just hanging loosely. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to tie it. He's no, no, that's good enough. Just, just, just hanging there. That's a 16 year old kid. And he says, now, he says, I'm going to get behind that curtain. He says, you, before I get there, you stuff Kleenex in my mouth. And I stuff Kleenex in his mouth. And he says, no, he says, if I beg you, I can't breathe. I can't breathe and my hands are tied. He says, I'm going to go behind the curtain and in 15 seconds I will release myself. And, and he goes behind the curtain and his mouth. And he's breathing, but he's not breathing through his nose. He's, he's trying to breathe through his mouth. And he's, he's behind the curtain, and the curtain is flapping and flapping. I am laughing so hard, I literally go behind the bar here, yeah. duck down, and I finally go in the kitchen. I'm afraid I'm going to die laughing. And I come back, and he's finally, he's falling to the ground behind the curtain. Yes. And he's screaming my name, Cole, Cole. Come in, come in, help, help. He said, take the thing out of my mouth. And I take the thing out. No, I untie me. So I pulled the off his wrist. He's now pulled the thing out of my mouth. He has his hands. I had to take the thing out of his mouth. out of his mouth. 16-year-old kid. Just doing it around the house, not for an audience. No. Just, yeah. Oh, he, was, he is a genius. So, but enter laughing that you wrote Alan Arkin was young when he did that, right? Yes, it's like, Alan, Alan yeah. Arkin's first major yeah. role. And he, he won a Tony. He was absolutely brilliant. But then Russians Are Coming and Russians Are Coming was also Alan Arkin, right? And Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, Norman Jewison came and offered me that part mm-hmm. because the script was written by a great writer, the uh, uh, Bill Rose. He lived in England. He was uh-huh. American. But he, and he, he, he wrote a um, treatise to the, the script. And in the treatise, it says, if there is a God, call Ronnie Rostanov. Wow, how great. And that was like the loveliest time of my life as far as that Russians are. And Alan Arkin was an amazing performer in that. Yeah. He learned Russian. He spoke Russian. He was the perfect guy yeah. for it. And Norman Jewison is, uh, of course, he's a Canadian, which makes him exceptionally talented as far as I'm concerned. I consider Norman... The best laugher in the world. Yes. He falls on the floor yeah. and makes everybody. Yeah. He's a friend of mine, Norman, because all Canadians I know, I know, know all other I Canadians. Know. And Robert Allen Arthur was a writer. very One of the best. One of the best. And he wrote a play that I was in on Broadway. And he said, tonight, I'm going to be at Zero Mistel's. And I want you to come, David. You should meet Zero Mistel. I didn't know anyone at the time. I had just been in his play. He brought me in from Second City. So he said, just be there at 6 o'clock on the dot. Be there at 6 o'clock on the dot. So I'm there at 6 o'clock on the dot. And I knock on the door. I hear a lot of carrying on. And I hear a lot of, oh, this sounds like a great party. And no one comes to the door for a long time. So I knock on the door again, and I hear someone, I'll I'll, I'll get it. And it's Zero Mistel, and he opens the door, and I say, uh, Zero, uh, you know, I'm David Steinberg. Bob Arthur told me to come. He said, who the fuck cares? Get the fuck out of here. And he slams the door in my face. (laughs) So I thought, what am I going to do? I'm in New York for a minute. I'm go- and I know that I could hear everyone there. He wasn't really angry. He loved doing that. Here, he was really angry, and I'll tell you why. An hour before, Harvey Orkin, his agent, yes, yes. had just told him that Norman Jewison 
passed on him for the film version of Fiddler on the Roof oh. and gave it to Tuple, an Israeli. Oh, yes. Who played it wrong. Yeah, played, played it wrong. Yeah. So an hour before oh, I got oh there. Yeah. So, so when I came in, it was, sit over there. I mean, I mean it was like, <laughs> you had to take it out on someone. You know, there's one. There's one Zero Mostel story that I think is absolutely delicious. Very serious painter. And for yep. many years, he taught at the YMHA. He taught painting. Mm -hmm. He was not even thinking of being a performer. And he was a very good teacher. Mm -hmm. And one student came to him with her painting that she finishes. Mr. Mostel, will you tell me what you think of this? He says, well, what were you getting at when you wrote... It's it's what you want, and he kept saying to her, "It doesn't matter what I think about it. It's what did you accomplish? What you went after? Because everybody has a different." And she kept pestering him and pestering him, and he said, uh, "But just tell me what you think of it, please." He went to the window and threw it out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she knows now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he could do so much. He was oh, so. He was a genius. Yeah. So and a talented. Great painter. Yeah, it was a sad evening for me to have met him that night, but I certainly couldn't negate his talent. I mean, comedy wasn't a field. It's amazing now, comedy is everywhere. Everyone cares about comedy, but what attracted you to humor and My parents always liked to listen to radio. My father built the first radio we had in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He actually had to go to the gas station. He bought a storage generator as a storage battery. Yeah. And we listened to Amos and Andy. It was the first comedy thing. We listened to it every night. Yeah. And then came all of the great comedians. You know, We listened to all the comedy mm -hmm. shows. Mm -hmm. And on, on the weekends, we went to the movies. If there was a Marx Brothers movie, we had to go early and seeing Buster Keaton and, uh, mm -hmm. and Chaplin. Yeah. And they, they, my parents love comedy. Yeah, and listening to the radio to hear comedy when there was no television at all, because I I know all these radio shows because I grew up in Canada. In Canada, we didn't get television until about 15 years later. The great news is that I dined out on these shows. I listened to all of them. So radio is where you started, your imagination started to develop. And yes. Did you know you wanted to be in show business uh, all the time? Uh, I think so. As a matter of fact, I'm now writing a book, another book, about my first incursions into performance. Mm -hmm. And the book is about everything that happened in my life that we used to make an episode. But here's my favorite thing. I was a testimonial here. After four hours at the wheel of the Mississippi paddle boat transporting folks to their homes, I'm afforded no greater pleasure than retiring to my stateroom, turning on my RCA Victor 7-inch television set, and watching Carl Reiner's hilarious The Dick Van Dyke Show, Mark Twain. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> is that a real Mark Twain? No. No, it's a made-up Mark Twain. Mark Twain is my favorite person in the whole world who ever lived. He's worthy of your respect. Mark Twain and you are very similar. Yeah. Mark Twain did everything. He lectured and yeah. was funny and wrote everything like you do. And one of the things I am most proud of, and when I hear it, I do not know who that man is. In 1950... A thing came out called the Letters from the Earth, mm -hmm. Mark Twain. He wrote it, and because it was blasphemous, nobody would, would allow it to be published. Mm -hmm. It was published three years after his death. He signed the book, you know, mm -hmm. inside. Matter of fact, I, when I did a This Is Your Life, they wanted to give me a car. My wife said, he's got a car. What is he like, Mark Twain? <laughs> they gave me the full Mark Twain, all the 
hundreds uh, of uh, his books that he's written and all that. You know, in gilt leaf. Uh, yeah. And one of the books has his signature in it. And also, he sort of created stand-up comedy in a way. He, he was a stand-up comedian. Yeah. 47 years old before he started really writing, uh, you know. Books. Is that right? Yes. Before Huckleberry Finn and Tom yes. Wow. Yeah, and then, you know, I saw the Hal Holbrook version of Mark oh, Twain. Hal Holbrook. On one hand, I'll tell you the five best things I've ever saw. You know, My Fair Lady on yep. Broadway, mm-hmm. Julie Andrews, mm-hmm. and Hal Holbrook. Went with my kids, uh, Robbie and Annie were about six and ten that and we went mm-hmm. and you went back in time walking and out comes this guy who looks like mark twain yes and my mouth was open the whole time and years later i emceed a dinner for uh, eisenhower and mark twain was the uh, performer hal holbrook hal holbrook yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know and and the president came back to say hello to us. The Lennon sisters were there, and he said hello to us. And and as he said hello to us, you know, we were all deferential to him, and he, and we're bowing. And he came over to Hal Holbrook, who was still Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. He bowed as if as if it was Mark I, Twain. I couldn't believe that yeah. moment. I saw Hal Holbrook do Mark Twain in Chicago, and I was maybe 19, 20 years old, and that made me want to get into show business. No kidding. Yep. He did a ghost story in the yes, middle of yes, it. Yes. It was what stand-up comedy became. But, but I won't go back, but the show of shows, well, that's where Mel comes in as well, Mel Brooks. Well, Mel Brooks, when I met him, he was a friend of Sid's. He was not on the staff. I walked in. I didn't know who he was. He was standing up. Sid had paid him $50 a week to write jokes for him, and his, this guy is standing up, and he's playing a Jewish pirate. <laughs> and he says, you know how hard it is to make a living these days? I can't afford to go out and sail anymore. He says, you know, 39 cents at a yard for a sailcloth. I can't pillage and rape anymore. <laughs> First I ever heard of it. That's where the 2,000-year man started. Day I started asking him questions. For the next 10 years... He was the 2,000-year-old man, and you would just ask him any questions. He, I would never know what I was going to ask him. He never knew. Ten years we did that. Four years after the... Uh, the Holocaust and the Jewish accent was persona non grata. It was um, Myron Cohen who brought it back. And we, we did it for friends and did it at parties. And we made, there were parties made so we can get up and do this. Uh-huh. Ten years we did it. And never took it publicly never. because it was and it too was, Jewish and too, yeah. and could be anti Semitic. And to it something. was at a party that somebody threw, like, and at the party with this A list of <laughs> actors. Mm-hmm. And it was George Burns who said, Is there a record? made a record of this? And we said, no. He says, put it on record or I'll steal it. Edward G. Robinson, make a play out of it. Make a play out of it. I said, he says, I'd like to play the thousand-year-old man on Broadway. I says, 2,000. He says, I can play any of it. (laughs) Never forgot that. And it was Steve Allen, dear Steve, who always liked to push comedians forward. He said, fellas, take over World Pacific Jazz. That was his uh, record company. Yeah. Yeah. He says, take it. He didn't want to be a partner. He's just, we invited like 300 people and wailed for three hours, two hours, cut it down to 47 minutes. Wow. Like, what were the first things you did with Mel? Like, no, the first thing I did with Mel was I had on wire tape in my house. We were so funny. And I said, I got to record this because it's. It's, it's disappearing, you know. If I ever ask him the same question... Yeah, he doesn't want to answer the same one. a different answer. Right. What's your favorite wife, Shirley? What, what was special about Shirley, her best friend, Lila? <laughs> 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 you know, or, or 
surely she's the only one who could carry me. I carry is we didn't have taxis and, and, and I didn't have a camel. So women carried their husbands and she was the strong. He always gave me a different reason. Yes, Any time you ask yeah, him. Right. And so it's so interesting that there was a community of people like Steve Allen to help. And, oh, Steve Allen yeah. was a, just the dearest. Yeah. Man. So Dick Van Dyke. So did you did you think that when you were doing all this stuff with Sid Caesar, that you wanted to write a television show? Was that a goal of yours, or did well, it yeah, just happen? That's, that's what. That's exactly what this is about. Mm-hmm. I just why and how the Dick Van Dyke show was born. Mm-hmm. After the show shows ended, the uh, review format was n- nowhere to be seen. But it didn't come back until that great, the greatest talent of them all, Carol Burnett, yes. came and brought it back ten years later. Yeah, and so. Situation comedies and horses and guns were prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so I was being offered situation comedies. And my wife and I read them, and they weren't very good. And she said to me, and her infant was, why don't you write one? I said, so I said, what do I write about? And I remember talking to myself, going home. What do I write about? Well, I live in New Rochelle. I work in New York as a writer in New Rochelle. I have a wife and kids, and we, I'll write about that. And so I wrote a thing called Head of the Family. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to my agent, Harry Kalsheim, mm-hmm. who sent it to Peter Lawford, who was looking to, to be a producer. Mm-hmm. He put up the money. I did a pilot. We put the pilot on. It was just okay. I put it aside, and I started writing movies. I started writing thrill of it all. And Harry Kalsheim, I had these 13 episodes I had written. In Higher Island, I wrote 13 episodes, knowing that I'd need a Bible for other writers to know what this is about. So he called Sheldon London from TNL Productions. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, they read him. They called me in, and I said, Sheldon said, these are wonderful. I said, yeah, look, Sheldon, I don't want to fail with the same material twice. Mm-hmm. And he said, you won't fail. We'll get a better actor to play you. <laughs> and he su- suggested Dick Van Dyke. I ran to New York, saw him, and Bye Bye Birdie, and that was it. And Maury Amsterdam and, and Rosemary. Oh, Maury Amsterdam was also at the Morris office. Rosemary happened to be there, and he says, well, I got the girl for you to play the girl. And Rosemary said, and the guy to play Buddy would be Maury Amsterdam, her best friend. Yeah. And I was thinking of a younger guy like Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. you know. But I said, Maury Amsterdam comes with a, such a background of jokes. Mm-hmm. And he, he was giving quips not only for his own character, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. He was a quipster. Yeah, he was a, he's like a stand-up comedian. In this book, I showed pictures of uh, when he was a young pit orchestra cellist. He sold quips to Will Rogers, Fanny Bryce, Henny Youngman. All the vaudevillians. Yeah, that's great. You had in mind a group of comedy writers because you had seen an incredible group of comedy writers. I, on I was the, writing about what I knew what about. What you knew about in the Sid Caesar show. And so then you get this little group of comedy writers, which is what's ideal about it. Not only are they funny, but it's a family that if you're a lonely person watching it, you say, I want to be with that group. I know. When you think about the uh, members of that family, Going from uh, Mel Brooks, of course, became a he became a very expensive writer. After him. Max <laughs> hated him because he was so obstreperous. Yeah, throw lit cigars in it. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, then there was uh, Joe Stein who wrote Fiddler on the Roof, yes. and then there was Larry Gelbart. Yes, and Danny Simon. Larry Gelbart wrote Mash and yeah. so many other Doc things. Simon, who was Neil Simon, wrote every great and Mike comedy Stewart, play. who wrote uh, Bye Bye Birdie. There was always somebody who could write. Take down the notes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Canadians, the two Canadians on the show, 
Mel Tolkien and Lucille Cowell. Yes, yeah. And she was the one who used to write because she, she could type and write. Yeah, just the incredible group of writers that you've had. And oh. then, I mean, Dick Van Dyke was about the writing as well as how you had Mary Tyler Moore. You had great performers. This is a book called Why and When the Dick Van Dyke Show Was Born by Carl Reiner. I recommend it to everyone, even though I've only seen the cover. There is a page called where the table contents usually is, and there's nothing on it. <laughs> but there's a bunch of lines with no numbers on it. On the back cover, it says, to explain why the table of contents is on this back cover. As you know, the first thing most of us do when picking up a new book is to scan the laudatory blurbs that the author's celebrity friends have written. However, I decided in lieu of, again, pestering important people like Mel Brooks, Billy Crystal, Bill Maher, George Clooney, and asking Hillary and Bill Clinton, Barack and Michelle Obama to write blurbs. Instead, I offer this table of contents. <laughs> so the table of contents is on the back of the book. The Rise and Demise of Head of the Family, which is the precursor to the Dick Van Dyke show. Rewriting and recasting. Black was the new red. Anyway, that goes. Black was the new red. It was about so the McCarthy goes, hearings. Oh, the, yeah. That's another yeah. era that certainly Jews had to suffer through that a lot. A lot of the liberal Jews, you know, they, they just stopped the careers of Zero Mostel, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. I talk about that because I hired a guy named Phil Leeds to play Maury Amsterdam's brother, and he was wonderful. He looked like him, and he was blacklisted at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used Jack Guilford once, and, and, and then to laughing. And you get guff from it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was visited by the FBI on a Sunday morning in New Rochelle, mm-hmm. nine in the morning, black-coated guys. Hello. And I was so charming to them. I said, oh, come in, gentlemen. FBI, oh, come in, gentlemen. What can I? And I, I remember I was in my shorts, put a bathrobe on. I said, how about some coffee? They said, that'd be good. I said, no, did you bring any? I don't have any. I was trying to be so fucking sure. charming. You have to be. First, they started with, did you vote for the American Labor Party? Wow. And I said to myself, they can't ask that question. Right. And I said, yes, didn't you? I said, Henry Wallace was our vice president. He was a businessman. He owned a strawberry farm. Yes. I hope you guys voted for him. I went I went the other way. Yeah. I was so charming. And they said, no, we didn't. And then they started asking me all kind of crazy questions. And then they said, uh, did you uh, once uh, do a benefit for a fellow named Barsky? I said, yes. He said, did you know he was a communist? I said, I don't know what he was, but I, all I know is that he invented plasma. If it wasn't for him, the motor of a Jeep, he invented plasma to save millions of lives, of our soldiers' lives. I would have done anything for him. And I, so I hosted a night at Carnegie Hall. So they were trying to connect you to communists. And then they said the $100 question. Do you know any communists? Oh, I said, I'm sure I do. He says, can you name any of them? I says, communists don't tell you who they are. That's why, that, you know, that'd be stupid. Wow, that's, trouble. that's a very bold way to handle yes. them. And I said, and I said, by the way, and when I told I love emceeing, I'm a great emcee, I says, if the, if the FBI FF has a big dinner or something, I'd be very happy to emcee for you. Please, please call upon me. That was the last thing I said. Wow, that's, that's a great way to handle it because the careers were I were, know. Were destroyed. I was shitting in my pants. Yeah, it's incredible. So, Carl, Dick Van Dyke Show, becomes a landmark, the best situation comedy that anyone had ever seen Thank up you. to that point I and agree. still to this day. I, agree. I mean, if you look at them now, they hold up. And the, the group of writers, certainly, as I'm talking to you, you know where the group of writers comes from. That was the most fun that you had. 
when yes. you were with a group of writers. And I also, you know, some shows, they all stand out. Dick Van Dyke, you watch every one of those shows and they hold Dick up. Van Dyke is maybe the best comedian that ever lived. And physical comedian. He is what he's close to ninety now, and you yes. could see what he does with his legs yet. He's <laughs> yes, it, he's amazing. He really is, and yeah. he's uh, he's one of these multi, multi, multi. Yeah, he could do anything. Pratfalls, he yeah. can still do pratfalls. Yeah. yeah, and you know the Jerry Van Dyke where he was a sleepwalker, still one of yeah. the all-time. I'm sure that's, most people. That's in here that's too. In there yeah, too. That, you know that's funny when he said he hadn't seen his brother in. A few years, it was on the Playboy circuit, and he sent him a review. How's your brother? I said, he's funny. He's very funny. I said, would you like to see him? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'll write a show for him. So I said, tell me a little about him. He said, he's just a, was a somnambulist. That's enough. I said, that's all I need. <laughs> so I went home, and I started writing, and I, I found out. I said, geez, I can't finish it in one. It's too much stuff here. Mm-hmm. And I never wrote a two-part, and I called him. I said, Dick. I said, this, I got a great premise for this. I said, it's, it's really acting. Can he act? He's, oh, yes. I said, are you sure he can act? He said, I'm sure. I said, how can you be sure? It's because if he can't, I'll kill him. <laughs> well, you know, the last time we spoke uh, in, in Inside Comedy, a show that I was interviewing you for, you told me about that when you had the 2,000-year-old man, so you were always worried, was it too anti-Semitic and yeah, all yeah, of that? Yeah. And then the Queen of England. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was doing movies at Universal. I had a bungalow there. My next-door neighbor was a guy. You remember a guy named Kyrie Grant? We went walking together, and I said, oh, would you come in? I want to give you some. And I gave him a, an album of 2,000-year-old man. And he came back a day later. He says, you know, I have a dozen I said, does? And he said, I'm going to England. I said, you going to take these to England? He said, I speak English there, don't I? <laughs> and so he came back, and he said, that she loved it. I said, who? He's the queen mother. I said, you took this thing? And I said, well, if the biggest chicks in the world found it funny, I guess it's funny. <laughs> for that, everybody. Yeah. That's great. Carl, I love you. I thank you so much for doing this. I thank this. you for coming here yes. and helping me become who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your expectations under control